it breaks my mind because how could you, like, how does someone like Josephine say that I would kiss my torturer's hands and feet? Like, how do you, I assume she said that in earnest, you know? Absolutely like, in yeah. earnest, but it, it just shows how, how God works so far beyond our own imaginations. It yeah. can bring about things that we would never imagine possible. The lesson is that we just got to let them do it. Trust, open the heart, open the mind, open our life. God, do for me, in me, through me, what only you can do. Well, your grace, it's great I'm to be back in the studio. Glad to be back. It's been a little while since we did the recording, I think. Huh? Yeah, we're here in the new year. And in you, the new year. Happy New Year. Yeah. yeah, Happy New Year. Thank you. You were in Halifax for the vacation period. I was. I shouldn't. I'm not yeah. Matthew to keep telling you. No hitting the table. I shouldn't, so shouldn't hit the table. Sorry, sorry. Mea yeah. culpa, mea culpa. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I was in Halifax. Uh, I think I had five full days there, which was really sort of wonderful. I did my... My normal thing, I do the midnight mass. I've done this all through my episcopacy, you know, go home on Christmas Day after the midnight mass. That actually goes back to some instructions I had from my mother, God bless her. So, yeah, yes, dear, uh, Christmas Day, you'll, there wasn't a question, uh, you'll be home, dinner's at such and such a time, you know, so. This is when you were priest or bishop? Bishop, and that's that's when I learned the order of hierarchy in the life of a bishop, right? It's God, Mother, Pope. (laughs) So, so, all right, learned that lesson quickly. So ever since, uh, midnight mass, then I get on an early flight, Christmas Day. Yeah. So I get there by, you know, Christmas evening. And then I've got a, a full few days with, with my brother and sisters and their children. And this time it was wonderful. We just kind of, what do the young people say? Chilled out. Yes. Yeah. It was just uh, hanging around in one another's homes and, of course, eating a lot and chatting and laughing and carrying on. I uh, didn't even bother going down, down Halifax. Didn't, actually didn't, didn't hit even, the town, didn't, eh? It didn't hit the town. Oh, no. yes. And it didn't, actually didn't even occur to me. So it was wonderful, wonderful. What about you? What you do for Christmas? I was with family. My entire family was nice, there, nice. and there's just one great grandchild, I guess you could say. My sister ah. is, had the first baby about a year ago, but he was the highlight. He was sure. the entertainment, the joy. He's almost one. Oh yeah, star of the show. Uh, yeah, Xavier. So he was he was a delight. Definitely Terrific. the highlight of the whole Christmas season. Um, you when you were in Halifax. Is there any, are there any particular Christmas traditions that your family, uh, that your family celebrates every year, even little things? Well, we got this thing and it goes back a little while. There's this ornament of a pickle. Now where, (laughs) where in the name of heavens we got this Whatever I thought you were going to say next, that, that wasn't it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so at at the home of one of my sisters, uh, we've got this tradition for the young kids. Actually, we're chatting about it. I think they're growing out of it now, but anyway, um, hiding the pickle. The pickle. Yeah, so hide the pickle somewhere in the Christmas tree. Yeah. And then they, they go all out trying to find this thing and then just give them a little reward if they find cash. something, you know? Yeah. So there's that. Uh, what has developed, of course, my family members, they all have their own Christmas Day traditions. Uh, so when I get back Christmas night, probably have a bowl of seafood chowder with, uh, oh. I stay at the home of one of my sisters, Monica Great and her Coast. husband Paul, yeah. yeah. And we just have that uh, Christmas night seafood and then uh, the next day, we gathered at the home of my other sister, Claire, and my brother, Paul, and everybody who all came together, and we had our Christmas dinner there. Wow. So that's, that's, that th- things change when uh, mom and dad go to God, right? So uh, that's how it's unfolded for us in the next yeah. little, last little while. Are there any, even in your extended family, any priests or religious other than yourself? Not presently, no. In the past, um, what would he have been? There's two priests. 
Um, I would say that they would be one a great great uncle probably and another uh, a, a cousin. Okay. Um, but the last of those died back in the sixties. Uh, there was a sister, a religious sister, C and D. Um, she died a few years back too. But certainly in terms of contemporaries, no one. Yeah. I'm kind of it. I uh, so looking forward into the new year. You're heading, I believe, next week weekend to Fort Saskatchewan uh, to a parish visit. I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I love I love the parish visits. It's just a chance to. Uh, meet with the pastor first of all. How's he doing? What? How can I help him? How can I walk with him in his ministry there? Because the role of the priest obviously is so critical. But it's a chance to meet too with uh, the parishioners as a whole, also with the various groups, whether it's the pastoral council or whatever. Institutions linked with with the parish also will be put on the calendar. So I really look forward to that. And actually, in between, so that's next weekend. In between, I've got the um, annual bishops retreat. So there's a retreat for the bishops of the West and Northern dioceses. Mm-hmm. We meet every year, those that are free in, uh, at the Benedictine monastery in mission BC. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that, uh, Cardinal, Cardinal Paul- Collins is going to lead this year. So I look forward to, it's always good to see him yeah. and, and hear from him too. He's, he's such wisdom and, and such humor. So it'll be, it will be very, very good. I yeah. look forward to it. And of course he was formally for a brief period. He was the archbishop here. He was. Yeah. He so was. one of your predecessors. Yeah. And uh, still very, very fondly yeah. remembered here. And a great sense of humor. You've often said uh, this. He's a, he's a guy yeah. who's quick to laugh and he, quick to make people laugh. Well, he can make people laugh. I've yeah. sometimes just been breathless sitting out listening to him. So he's good. He's great. Yeah. Good guy. So a lot of joy this new season. You bet. Lots to look forward to. Always yeah. is. Always is. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that, well, speaking of that, I don't know if you picked it up, but on um, New Year's Eve, the Holy Father has the tradition of gathering with the people of Rome at St. Peter's Basilica okay. for what they call the Te Deum, the great hymn of praise to God as we bring one year to a close and open a new one. And his homily was was really beautiful in the sense of what it highlighted as the two attitudes that really um, capture the heart and the mind of the Christian at this particular juncture of time, thanksgiving and hope. We recognize that the Lord is present. The Lord is guiding. The Lord is shaping all. He's with us. And looking back over the past year, we may not even be able to see all the blessings. Usually we can't. But we know that the blessings are there. He's been working through our history to prepare us for something wonderful in our own lives and, and as, as a people. And that spirit of thanksgiving naturally spills into one of hope as we look forward. Uh, lots of reasons for people these days to be looking forward into 2024 with trepidation, I would suggest, with all the wars that are happening and all kinds of stuff going on. So I get it. Sure, that, that's natural. But at the same time, the Holy Father is saying, wait a minute. The Lord is the Lord of history. The Lord shapes all. The Lord is working in it all to bring his plans to conclusion. And in the midst of the difficulties, we may not be able to see that when the hardships are right up in front of us. But because the Lord is there, because the Lord's leading, we're a people of hope. And we, we hope on the basis of our knowledge that the Lord in his love and in his power is with us and guiding and shaping the church and the world. Mm-hmm. It's my understanding in the Catholic faith and the Christian faith that hope, no matter how bad it is, hope in a sense, it's a commandment of our faith. It's not just something that we spontaneously feel occasionally. Like we're, we're called to hope. If we believe what we believe, 
we do, we have hope. Yeah. It's at the same time though, it's not something that we can manufacture. Right. right. And uh, hope, hope is very different. Many people will point this out. Hope's very different from optimism. Right. Optimism is sort of looking at things through the lens of my own eyes, my own perspective, my own presuppositions and so on. But hope is grounded theologically in the truth of who God is, his power, his love, his mercy. And so we speak of hope along with faith and charity as a theological virtue, theological in the sense that it's it's rooted in the truth and the mystery of God. It's God's love and power that gives rise to hope as through faith we surrender our lives to him in trust and live out that faith in charity. Hope arises from that awareness, that deep awareness, which is actually a grace-given when we talk about the theological virtues, they're infused. They're given to us as gifts of the Holy Spirit. We don't manufacture them. But what it causes to arise within us, this hope that if the Lord is with us, the Lord's in charge. I really, at the end of the day, don't have anything to fear. I can just give all to him and know that he's going to lead it to, to a good end. Mm-hmm. Well, that's you've made it very easy to segue into our, our oh. topic today because we're speaking about the saints and how they are... Uh, they're a key part of our our life yeah, as, as yeah. Catholics, as yeah. followers of Jesus. The church has given us this, this blessing of especially canonized saints. Yep. They're, they're a witness to the hope that we have. Well, uh, they're a witness to the hope. That's beautifully put. But yeah. they're, also, um, they're also with us. They're part of the family. Yeah, they're here. The cloud I, I love, of witnesses. I, I love that tradition of the communion of saints, right? They've gone yeah. before us, but they haven't left us, right? We're still part of that, that yeah. mystical body of Christ. And so... They, they're, they're with us, they're praying for us, they're giving us their example. That's uh, just a beautiful, beautiful dimension of our faith. Yeah, that's interesting when it comes to that idea of that we believe, this reality of the communion of saints, that it's not, it's different than just these me- memories of good yeah. people before us, yeah. you know, remembering our ancestors or something like that. They're actually present to yeah, us they're, they're, here. They're, they're in the room. mysteriously part of the family. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to sainthood and particularly this, um, tradition within Catholicism of formally canonizing saints. Uh-huh. Why does the church canonize saints and how is it important to us in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think first of all, it's important to keep in mind that the church does not make saints. Sometimes you'll ah. hear that phrase, right? Ah. God makes us holy. Okay. We can't make ourselves holy. We can't make others holy. That's the work of grace. So when we talk about canonization, it means technically that the person is now listed in the canon of those who that the church has been able to recognize as saints. Okay. So God makes the saints. The church recognizes that fact again by God's own activity through miracles, right? So it's, it's through miracles that God is attesting to the, the, the sainthood, the presence in heaven of the one whom we are honoring. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, in a sense, it's the church is recognizing saints, yep. not making them. Absolutely right. In terms of the process of yep. canonization. Yep. Okay, okay. Now, I'll. it was interesting because as we were, when we were talking about this episode, actually last year, mm-hmm. talking about anticipating this conversation, um, you had brought up a particular saint, um, and you gave me a book on her, which felt like uh, homework yes, from the archbishop, okay. right? right? Which, which <laughs> you you got to take it very, very take good. it. Very seriously. All right, no test. Uh, yeah, no test. But uh, St. Josephine Bakhita, 
yeah. was the saint that you would offer to someone who has particularly stood out to you. Um, and so I, I was reading through this book that you gave. I don't actually have it with me here, but my goodness, I'm so happy you introduced me to this okay. woman. I knew her name, but I yeah. didn't know her story. Yeah, it should be, it should wow. be very, very well known. Yeah. Did you, so why did you first read that book and why, why has she stood out to you? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting, looking back, kind of interesting the way it happened. So, um, Back in the 90s, actually, when I was a student in Rome, okay. I was there about a year, so it would have been 1992, and the news was out that the Holy Father, was John Paul II at the time, was going to be doing a beatification of the founder of Opus Dei, Jose Maria Escriva. Oh, yes. And I thought, that's, that's interesting. And, and, and all the news, the posters around Rome, everything was all about the beatification of this particular man, wonderful man. Um, I thought, well, I wonder what this is going to be like. So I just kind of sauntered over from the place where I was staying in Rome to St. Peter's Square. And when I got there, I saw all these people, thousands and thousands of people and the signs all around. So a lot of people joyfully and, and rightly celebrating this beatification. But as I'm looking around the streets of Rome, all of a sudden, here and there, I started to see these posters of Josephine Paquita, who also was going to be beatified at the same Mass. Yeah. I thought, well, who's, who's she? You know, and she doesn't seem to be getting a whole lot of attention. The underdog, immediately interesting. No, you know, who's, who's this? Now, to his wonderful credit, John Paul II gave equal billing, if I can put it that way, to both in his homily. You know? um, but it just tweaked my interest. Who's this woman? So I started to look into it a little bit, and I was, I was caught. I'd have to say my heart was caught by her and, and, and by her story. And so she's just been someone that ever since that I'll, uh, I'll pray to and call upon and ask for her intercession. And her story is very, very compelling. Yeah. Did you find that when you read the book? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so she's, uh, and you, you can correct me. I have notes here. I took notes, so I'm not just doing it off memory, but my understanding is so she's from Sudan originally. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, and she was kidnapped as, as a very, very young woman. Very young. The, the, Sometimes you hear seven years old, sometimes nine years old, but ju yeah. just a little girl. Yeah, yeah and and br brutally, a brutal life for about awful, twelve years with these slave traders. So very traumatic, yeah, just the, the she worst was things. Sold, I don't know, 10, yeah. 12 times or something, and just brutally, brutally treated. It's beyond belief. Yeah, and then eventually ended up in Italy, uh -huh. um, where she eventually became. A religious sister. Yeah. But what's what I found immediately stood out to me about her story, considering just the brutal abuse that she went through, and then being in a foreign country where she was often approached with skepticism and racism, but and also just people, you know, acting strange around her simply because she was black in a society where um, skin color was emphasized quite a right. bit, and it would have been strange for races to be mixing. That's my mm -hmm. understanding of that that historical context. And just considering so much of her story, she had every excuse, I think, on a human level not to become a saint, right? She's someone yeah. you could almost pity and be like, well, we can understand why she didn't, she didn't treat people with yeah. kindness. We can understand why she wasn't particularly loving because she received so little of that, especially in those early horrible abusive years. So the tremendous gift of forgiveness in her life was 
I, yeah. I, what, what are your thoughts on that? The fact that she had every excuse yeah, um, yeah. and yet. Well, again, Grace, Grace working yeah. in the individual, but it, it's, it's quite remarkable. So uh, as I understand it, it was really only towards the end of her life that she started to reveal to folks all that she had been through, okay. which, which really caught, but, but, um, you know, looking back in, in retrospect, she would say that in the midst of all of this horror and suffering, I just had a sense somehow of being preserved and of being carried, not even not being able to articulate what or who or how this was. And then, um, so she was, sad to say, purchased uh, by the Italian consul uh, in Sudan at the time and brought back to Italy when he returned to that country. As I understand the history, she was at one point given to another family. Yeah. And when that family... Uh, took a trip, I think, in fact, to Africa. She stayed behind and was entrusted to the Kenosian sisters. And it's in uh, the care of the Kenosian sisters that she started to learn about Jesus, about God the Father. And the way she, the way she came to appreciate things, she said, "I, you know, I've lived all of my life under a variety of very, very cruel masters, mm-hmm. and yet with the sisters, I started to learn that." I have another master, a real master, a loving master, one who cares for me, love who's given his life for me. And it just it just awakened her to the truth of Jesus and what he had done, what he had taken upon himself in order to save people like like Josephine Bakita. And it, I, the more she was aware of of this enormous love of her new master, her real master, the more that awakened in her the desire to extend that love and mercy to others and choose to forgive rather than to to have a heart filled with rage and anger, as we would from a human perspective understand if if that had been the case. Yeah. The, other, the other thing too, and I don't know if I had a chance to mention it to you, but in his encyclical Space Salvi, Benedict XVI holds up Josephine Bakita as a model of what it means to be, so space alpha, saved in faith, saved by hope, sorry, saved in hope. So that's the, the, the phrase from, uh, from St. Paul in Romans. And what's that mean? It, it, it means being surrounded by this, this hope that comes from the awareness that, in her case, the master not only gave his life for her, not only loves her, but is waiting for her. So her, her life is, she becomes aware of the purpose, the purpose she's moving towards an eternal relationship of love with this master who has given his life for her and now waits for her. It's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful insight from Pope Benedict XVI. And so we can see how St. Josephine, we are talking about hope earlier, mm-hmm. becomes a model for all of us of what it means to be saved or redeemed by hope. Hope, knowing that we're all awaited by the one who loves us and who's given his life for us, changes everything, gives us proper perspective in our lives and frees us from the various slaveries. You know, she, she lived slavery, a physical, brutal slavery. We're all slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to our own desires and preoccupations and self-centeredness, all of these things. But the more that we allow ourselves to redeemed by, be redeemed by hope, Hope that comes from knowledge of the love of God who waits us, 
the more we are in fact set free to be the children of God that we're created to be through baptism. It's interesting because right now in our cultural context, and it's been this way for a while, there's a lot of conversation, rightfully so, about trauma, you know, what that is, um, speaking much more freely about it than it might have been spoken about in the past. And sometimes I've noticed that whether it's intentional or unintentional, trauma can be viewed uh, as an impediment, I, I suppose you could say, to sanctity. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an authentic reason or seen as a genuine reason why one wouldn't become a good person, right? Because you've been so brutalized in your life, especially maybe your earlier life. So it's an understand, again, like we've talked about, it's an understandable explanation for why someone, quote unquote, doesn't turn out too well, right? Um, and yet that's not what the Christian faith teaches, not that there's a dismissal of trauma, but the fact oh. that Christ can redeem all. And the fact that someone like Josephine Bakita, who went through the worst physical and likely sexual abuse for years and years on end, she still offered herself to Christ in this, in this way where she became a gentle and warm, kind, forgiving person. Nothing is beyond the healing power of God's mercy. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. And God's grace is given to us as a power of transformation. Mm -hmm. And God's power is unlimited. Mm -hmm. Our imagination is not. Our imagination, our visionings and so on, very limited, limited by the the very narrow parameters of the human mind. Mm -hmm. And that can lead us to think there's no hope for me. Yeah. Right? This is who I am. This is my story. This is I'm kind of stuck in this. And yeah. no. There's always hope for redemption, for transformation, for new life. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's what he gave his life for. Yeah. And if we just, um, as she did, open her mind and her heart to this truth that's proclaimed by the church of God's love, active and real in Jesus, poured out into our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit, stay open to that. And be be ready to be astounded. Be ready to be changed in ways that you, we never would think possible given our traumatic history. Yeah. But God's God's power is greater than all of that. Uh, yeah. Just let him in and, and see what will happen. Yeah. There's one particular quote from, from the book that I wanted to read. Uh, it went something like this. A young student once asked Josephine, what would you do if you were to meet your captors? Without hesitation, she replied, if I were to meet those who kidnapped me and even those who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. For if these things had not happened, I would not have been a Christian and a religious today. Well, profound insight there. Profound insight because it, uh, and it's something that we all need really to reflect upon. We can look back at our own histories we can look at crazy, perhaps sinful things we've done that we regret, that we feel shame for. We can think of terrible things that have happened to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she, by that uh, response, is saying is, you know, look, with the eyes of faith, look back and recognize that God, in, in the mystery of his permissive will and in his love, was at work through all of this to bring us um, through the evil and beyond the evil to the good in ways that we could have never imagined possible. So she was looking back and, yeah, a horrible, horrible history. 
But the history led her by very strange, difficult ways to that awareness of who Jesus is, to meet Jesus. And and she's saying this could not have happened, may not have happened otherwise. Right? So just a just kind of bowing down in wonder and awe before this mystery of God's working, even through the difficult things. So I think the lesson there is for us to look back on our lives and not to be consumed uh, with regrets or sorrow. I mean, if we've done wrong things, clearly you have to take uh, account of it, acknowledge it, repent, and so on. Um, but not be to- so consumed by that, but just, okay, how has God been at work in all of that? to bring me to where I am now, to prepare me for where I am now. Mm-hmm. And further, how's God still at work to prepare me for f- wonderful things in the future? Mm-hmm. Just that continual surrender uh, to the mystery of grace, to the truth of grace. Yeah, what you were saying about both sides of this quote, there's someone in the position of St. Josephine who she was the abused, she was yep. the slave, but then there's also the slave master. There's yep. the the kidnapper, there's the torturer. Um, and they're still beloved by God, although they are breaking his heart with such actions. Yeah. And yet it reminds me actually of the story of Maria Goretti, another saint from Italy. And yeah. the fact that the young man who raped her and or tried to rape her and then stabbed her was at her canonization. Yeah. And the story, story. like it just gives you chills. The fact yeah. that redemption yeah. is is offered to everyone, which is yeah. probably, I mean, it breaks my mind because how could you... Like, how does someone like Josephine say that? I would kiss my torturer's hands and feet. Like, how do you, I assume she said that in earnest, you know? Absolutely like, in yeah. earnest. But it, it just shows how how God works so far beyond our own imaginations. It yeah. can bring about things that we would never imagine possible. The lesson is that we just got to let him do it. Trust, open the heart, open the mind, open our life. God, do for me, in me, through me, what only you can do for my sake, for the sake of others, for the sake of the world. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, witnessed in your life, whether personally or viewing other people's lives, have you seen, how have you seen forgiveness change people or move people? Have you seen the effects of forgiveness in your own life? Um, well, you know, I'm not thinking of my own life right now, but the, what's what's jumping to my mind is that image of St. John Paul II going to the prison to pray with and forgive the one who tried to kill him. Oh, the man who tried to shoot him yeah, yeah, at the Vatican. St. Peter's Square. And um, I still remember talking to a, a gentleman. I was in Halifax at the time when all that was unfolding. He said, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if the Pope's doing the right thing. I don't know. I don't oh, know. So it was, it was extraordinary witness that the Pope was giving, you know, about, yes, the call to forgive. It's 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 a it's a non-negotiable for the Christian, right? And at the same time, it can be a very very difficult thing. But with God's grace, it can happen. God's grace transforms us in ways that we couldn't couldn't even begin to imagine. And um, but it, it it showed how that particular that the reaction of that man showed how that uh, mm. that witness can elicit a whole host of different reactions and. And when it summons us also to be able to forgive, then what emerges in our hearts and minds sometimes is, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get there. I've been hurt pretty badly, right? It almost doesn't feel right. That's the thing. I think that's what stops a lot of us from forgiveness is that your sense of of righteous justice often is that I can't forgive this person. They've wrecked my life. They've taken the joy from my life. They've done the worst 
it's not just to forgive. Yeah, yeah. The the irony there though is that I continue to suffer. If I'm not forgiving, right. I continue to suffer. Uh, it's forgiveness that frees me. Mm-hmm. It sets me free for a new life. Well, how does that phrase from St. Augustine, he says that refusal to forgive is like um, swallowing poison in the hope that the other dies from it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I might be getting that wrong, but the, his, his whole point was it, we're the ones who suffer most uh, when we are unable to forgive. There was, I'm not sure, again, what saint or, or philosopher said this, but it was also the idea that if we refuse to forgive someone, it also comes from a lack of trust in God because we somehow think that we have to inflict or we have to enact perfect justice in the world, right? If we, if we look to make someone suffer for the bad thing that they've done, they've presumably sinned in, in whatever they've done against us, there's also a lack of faith that in the end— Justice will be, everyone will receive the justice, right, that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Justice will reign. There is no, exactly. the there justice is. Justice belongs to God. Yes. So God is, the, God will take care of, of whoever yeah. has hurt you. You don't need to worry about that. You well, can forgive them because he's going to take care of them. I think, I think though, too, we need to recognize that sometimes um, forgiveness, especially if I've been so badly hurt, like, you know, Josephine to Paquita, um, it's, al- it's almost beyond my capacity to forgive. If I've been hurt so deeply, the trauma is is, is strong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we pray for the grace. You know, Jesus commanded us to forgive not seven but seventy-seven times. We all know that, but intellectually, intellectually, you know it. In our hearts, sometimes we just feel we can't get there. Yeah. But Jesus will always give us the grace we need to do what He commands us to do. And so, if we know we need to forgive, if we know that that's going to release us as well, and we can't do it. Then, like Josephine, let's, and with her help, with her help, let's pray that we'll have that grace that we need mm-hmm. to be forgiving people. That's true. We do have those moments where we realize, no, it's actually impossible for me to forgive this person. I, I could say the words, but I know that there's no way I can internally be authentic yep. in this. Yep. And it's the perfect moment but, to but I invite think the, Christ in. Yes. Oh, yes. It's always the perfect moment to invite Christ right. in. But yeah. when, when Christ does come in, let's not forget he's very gentle. Mm-hmm. Very, very gentle. And, and because of that, he works with us, within our capacities, within our circumstances. Um, and that's why, you know, sometimes it takes time, a lot of time, if the, if the hurt has been deep. Can't, you just, just can't turn it on. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. But in that time, the Lord is working preparing very gently, but very deliberately moving us towards that moment where we can let go and forgive. Mm-hmm. One of the things I find interesting about St. Josephine is the fact that, of course, she was born in Sudan, moved around after she was kidnapped, and then ended up in Italy. So she became a missionary to a country, Italy, that probably would have sent missionaries to Sudan, right? It's a little yes. bit of a reversal, right? Yes. Italy was a wealthy country that was sending a lot of people exactly. out. And yet she came and, and that's where she was, that's where she died and became a religious sister. So she was really a, an unexpected missionary in that sense. And a beautiful one. Yeah. Yes. And we have so many missionary priests here in Canada and in America. It's very common that there's so many great men who have come here to be missionaries to us in a sense. And Pope Francis is very strong on this. Yeah. We're all missionaries. Right. Every one of us is a missionary. And yes, it's wonderful. We need to receive. Yeah. We always need to receive the gospel. 
So if someone comes to me announcing the gospel, whether that's a priest from another country or some my neighbor next door, I need it and I'm happy to receive it. Yeah. Um, but we're not just recipients. We're also proclaimers. We're all missionary, whether it's on, the, on our street or going to another country. Yeah. And what uh, St. Josephine Bikita highlights is that the heart of that proclamation, the heart of the gospel, is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So we got these beautiful readings through the Christmas season from mm-hmm. the letters of St. John. He just keeps driving home the point that God gave us his son. Christ came to us to forgive sinners. And the great Benedictus, the great prayer of uh, Zechariah, right? Uh, he said, you know, speaking to his son, you know, you'll give the people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. This is how oh. we come to know that forgiveness is the heart of it all. That's um, how we'll know this our is, salvation. This is how we experience here and now <gasps> the truth of salvation when I experience God's forgiveness in my life, right? So at the Mass, you know, this is my body, this is my blood, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is why Jesus is here. And this is where God's love touches us as mercy and forgives us and transforms us. Um, And we who are recipients of that mercy, we who cannot live without that mercy, we who live now as redeemed sinners, always in need of that mercy, when we share this good news with others, it can only be that same news. The news of the possibility of forgiveness and new life when we allow the love of Christ to embrace us and transform us. That's what Josephine Bikita experienced, and that's the example she lifts up for, for the people of her contemporaries there in Italy, and they grew to love her for it. Um, it's the example she continues to hold out for us now. Yeah, when you point out the, the fact that forgiveness of sins, in a sense, is the, the beautiful evidence for our salvation, what a tragedy it is that we have this lie that's so pervasive in culture that sin doesn't exist. Yeah. There's no such thing as sin Great anymore, um, which doesn't change the fact that sin is real. And so if you, if you believe that sin is not and real how, and, and really, yet you need forgiveness, that's how heartbreaking that is. Well, and how can really, how can you look around at the world today and say, there's no such thing as sin? I mean, people are managing it somehow, somehow managing yeah. it. But dear, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yes. Um, like you feel, I can imagine there's, there's so many of us, there are so many of us that are, we, we may not articulate it as the desire for forgiveness because we, again, we don't believe maybe in sin. We don't believe in God. Um, and yet our, our hearts are aching for forgiveness, but we can't ask because we don't believe that yeah, there's anything yeah. to be well, forgiven. Yeah, I think you're, you're articulating some of the, of the uh, modern dilemma and I can't help but wonder, I'd love to study this, ponder this a whole lot more, but I can't help but wonder how, how so much of the anxiety, the grief, the pain that's being carried today is rooted in unrepented guilt. Mm-hmm. Right? Carrying guilt okay? that, that needs to be acknowledged, that needs to be uh, repented of, that needs to, that needs to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. That's what frees us. Um, but we're told that the lower. guilt comes from perhaps a societal structure that's shaming us rather than the guilt being an indicator yeah. of there's something wrong and there's healing. But, yeah, exactly. We're told to make it worse. Do the thing yeah. that's hurting yeah. you yeah. until it feels there's the vicious okay. Spiral. There's yeah. the vicious spiral. Yeah. But the truth is in the gospel and the truth is evidenced by Josephine Bikita. My goodness, yes. 
she, at the end of her life, she died um, of a, I don't know the, the, the name or the diagnosis of the illness, but she died in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, quite a bit of suffering at the end of her life once again. Oh, I'd forgotten that part. Yeah. yeah and the, her, her biographer noted that she was asked uh, about her suffering, you know, whether it was, how do you feel about your suffering? How are you responding to the suffering? And I guess what she said over and over again to people who inquired was, as the master desires. What do you think she meant by that? Did she mean that Jesus wanted her to suffer? What does that mean? Just, I would say, she just, as she did throughout her adult life, just continued to pour her life in trust into the hands of Jesus. My life will unfold as he desires it, which is, which is true for all of us. You know, our lives unfold, and we, we need to allow them to unfold as Jesus, our master, mm-hmm. desires it. And we do so in profound trust in his love, mm-hmm. and he is carrying us to a beautiful, beautiful the conclusion that he, that he wills for each and every one of us. As the master desires, so I will surrender. And her feast day is coming up at the time of this recording. It's uh, February 8th, 8th yeah. right? So we're anticipating that. Mm-hmm. She's, we can carry her story in our hearts as we move towards that that memorial. And you, you were talking about being there. Were you, so you were there when she was canonized? Is that what you're saying? Or? Uh, beatified. Beatified. Yeah. Okay, beatified. The one step before canonization. Yeah. So yeah. She was made a blessed. Exactly. Uh, but she was canonized in 2000, the year 2000. That's what my fact check says okay. anyway. Uh, and by Pope John Paul II, like mm-hmm. you said, and he was known for canonizing a lot, yes, a lot did. of people. I mean, yeah. I know a lot of popes canonize a lot of people, but he, there was quite a, he really opened the floodgates there. Which is a very, very important message for all of us because um, we look around, especially on the basis of the news reports we get, and all we can see is the d- tough stuff, everything that's wrong, everything that's just broken, and you, you can just get so filled with almost despair as you look at it, but... John Paul II, in that particular aspect of his papal ministry, highlighted that, no, 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 at the same time, there's great holiness in the world. There's great good happening. There's actually more good happening than evil, right? greater holiness than sinful. Um, All by God's grace, of course, the greater holiness, the greater good. But we don't see it. We're not shown it. So doesn't make as much money. Well, when when the church lifts up, you know, those that God has made saints, it's a very, very uh, salutary reminder to all of us that God is the last word. God is at work. Look for the good. And beyond looking for the good, look for Jesus. You know, St. Peter walking across the water sinking. He sunk when he took his eyes off Jesus and just looked at the waves and the mess and the noise. That's what God caused fear. When Only when he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus could he walk across all of that stuff. So uh, look for the good. Look for the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed, absolutely riveted on him. Mm-hmm. He's the source of our hope. Let him take us by the arm. and That's that's what's going to give us the strength we need. That's going to give us the hope that we need just to carry on as, as uh, people of joy, as people of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm remembering, too, with St. Josephine Vakita uh, in 2025, one of our local school districts, Edmonton Catholic, they're opening a school, an elementary and junior so high school so happy named that. after yep. St. Josephine Bakita. Yep. Yeah, and you were there, I believe, last year for the, the groundbreaking 
snipping uh, the rhythm. Cut, yeah, I know. You got a I big, you got an itinerary, but there's photo evidence that you photo were there. Evidence? Okay, photo good. evidence that you were there. there. Yeah, so it, it's it's so special that here in our own local community, yeah, there's going to be a school um, that is named after her and that this incredible witness to forgiveness. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. That'd be a great, great witness to the children. Yeah, no kidding. Well, before we, as we close, would you mind leading us in prayer and yeah. asking for the intercession of yeah, this beautiful to. saint? Glad to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God, Heavenly Father, in these days of Christmastide, we lift up to you our praise and thanks for the gift of your Son, your Son that you sent to save us by the forgiveness of our sins. We ask that you continue to pour out the Holy Spirit upon us, to open our hearts to Jesus, to draw us more closely to him in a union of knowledge and love, that in him we might know and enjoy the freedom that you will for all of your children. We thank you for lifting up to us many, many saints as models of holiness, as signs of hope for all of us. In particular, we thank you for St. Josephine Paquita, and we pray that by her intercession, we will be people who are open to your mercy, who experience anew your forgiveness, and become missionaries of mercy, announcers of the gospel of forgiveness to the people of our day. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. St. Josephine Paquita. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Your Grace. Welcome. Glad to chat. So thanks, everybody, for watching. Hope you found it helpful along your, your journey of faith. Please know that I'm praying for you. And if you would, be so kind as to pray for us also. Every blessing to you. God bless.